I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. As you know, this first series of the show has been the Alphabet series, as each week's theme has followed the alphabet. This week we have arrived at X, and today's theme focuses on TEDx. TEDx was created in the spirit of TED's mission of ideas worth spreading, and supports independent organizers who want to create a TED-like event in their own community. Joining me in conversation is Brian Smith, the executive producer of TEDx Omaha. TEDx Omaha is an independently organized event licensed by TED. As an unpaid volunteer, Brian leads a team of 30 people who support a community of curious people. Brian works in innovation and strategy and has contributed to initiatives for the United Nations, IDEO, and an NCAA athletics program. Welcome to the show, Brian. Stuart, thank you for having me. So, TED, of course, is an acronym. So, it, it seems appropriate that the first thing we should do is uh, unpack the acronym. And perhaps if I could just ask you to explain what TED is. I will be happy to be your TED historian. So, TED was created as a one-time conference in 1984 by a guy named Richard Saul Werman. Um, he has He's a really interesting character, has written 90 that's nine zero books, uh, is an architect as a designer, um, has created uh, a couple other conferences, including the EG conference. And, uh, I think another one called WWW and just a really fascinating character. Um, but he, his motivation was to bring together people from technology, entertainment, and design. So that's where the TED acronym came from. Uh, he knew he's, realized that the people he knew working in those fields had just really um, a, lar- a big need to, uh, or there was a gap between communication and people in those fields. And so he said, I'm going to get them all together. Uh, it was a colossal uh, money loser. And so he didn't do it again for another six years. Uh, but in 1990, he had um, enough demand from people where he said, okay, fine, we'll do another one. And uh, since 1990, it's been an annual conference. How might people be familiar with TED now? It seems to be this idea of a TED-like conference seems to be a, a part of our cultural sort of zeitgeist now. So the way that people have uh, become aware of it, essentially what happened, again, deep dive into the history here. Uh, in 2006, uh, the TED conference made a decision that they were going to release uh, some of their talks which was a pretty big move because currently, well, right now, a, a ticket to TED costs $10,000. At that point, I think it was still five. Uh, but they said, or the, we, what we want to do is is play with this new emerging technology, which was streaming video via YouTube. And they said, we're, we're just going to put some of the talks out there, see how they do. And uh, that was really a, a real um, launch point for what TED became. Because uh, as soon as they started to release those videos, people got really interested. And actually the, uh, the, the technology entertainment design piece of it kind of fell away because it, the concept behind TED now is ideas worth spreading. And so it's expanded beyond those three kind of those three industries and those three sectors to be something that's much wider and much more uh, universal in scope. And that's one of the things that really makes the TED platform exciting and accessible to a lot of people is that the um, scope of vision and the, the topics that they cover are just so wide that you can learn something no matter who you are. Do you remember your first TED talk or how you first became aware of TED? The very first talk I can ever remember encountering was a video online was a woman whose name I probably get wrong, but Jill Bolton something. Jill Bolty Taylor. Okay. So clearly, you know, clearly this is a very well watched TED talk and, and she is the lady that explains as a neuroscientist, her own encounter with having a stroke and both being inside the experience, but also outside it, analyzing in real time, the impact on her brain as this was happening. And the retelling of it is amazing. It's a stunning talk. Uh, it involves, well, I, I would encourage listeners to go find it and, and we'll have a link uh, to that particular talk on our Facebook page, uh, which is Live's radio show on Facebook, because that is a wonderful talk and, and there's a nice little piece of dramatic uh, performance uh, that, that takes part. You know, you actually did something that was very unusual when you, you actually got part of her name. 
one of the the one of the phenomenons of the whole TED experience is that people can tell you about the idea they heard. They tell you all the details from that talk, but almost never can they remember the name of the speaker. And I think again that goes uh, um, into our expectations of uh, well, it goes into our experience that we remember the stories. Again, we don't remember necessarily the people behind the stories, but we remember the stories. Um, so that's one thing that has, it's, it's very common. So listeners, if you have not been able to remember the name of a TED speaker, you are not alone. So let me ask you that question you asked of me. What do you remember? When was the first moment you became exposed to TED? So one of the first talks that TED released in 2006 was one that I watched, which was Jeff Hahn demonstrates his multi-touch screen. Now... We are all walking around with multi-touch screens in our pockets or our purses, and we have them on our you know, computers or on our tablets or whatever it is. But uh, in 2006, he was demonstrating this, uh, you know, this pinch and zoom type of technology and you know, hold and drag and, and back and forth, and I thought it was the most amazing thing. Um, I was one of those people who saw that first round of TED Talks in 2006 and thought, well, I have... These, these are amazing. I have access to the world's, some of the world's greatest thinkers and doers. And uh, it really fed into my personality, which is somebody who um, seeks out new information constantly. I want to know, I'm very curious, which is, uh, I think, a, a characteristic of people who like Ted. Uh, but it also got me um, just watching the watching and paying attention to the platform, which is the origin of how TEDx Omaha uh, started is that I was just kind of watching the, I, I was familiar with TED and following up with the news stories and whatever else that I could find. And in 2009, they started to, uh, they released the TEDx program. Uh, and I just happened to be in a position where I, I knew about it and um, had someone encourage me to pursue it. And just, it was, I mean, it was one of those situations where we had a conversation, I applied for the license and a year and a day later, we were on stage doing our first event. Um, I have, gosh, I have watched many, many TED Talks and I have a lot of favorites. Um, Derek Sivers is one of my favorites. Uh, he has two, uh, two talks that are both, I think, three minutes long. Uh, but Derek was the founder of CD Baby and, uh, had, um, I think he just has, you know, he just is now a, a philosopher. I think he's in New Zealand currently and just hangs out and thinks things and has that luxury. Uh, but I, I diminish what he does now. But, um, you know, one of the things he, uh, one of the talks was uh, weird or just different. It was all about perspective because he, he demonstrated how uh, in, say, in the United States, we name the streets but we don't name buildings. And in Japan, for instance, they name the buildings, but they don't name the streets. Uh, because he said it makes perfect sense to the Japanese is that you name the blocks, or you order them by number, um, in which they were developed. And then you also then uh, uh, mark the houses by the order in which they were built, which makes perfect sense if you're Japanese. In the U.S., we don't do that. It's you know you have cross streets, you have you know numbers. Uh, so that one was that one was again. It's just three minutes. You can digest an idea. You can see it quickly. Um, but there are other ones um, um, that are that are really interesting to me. There was um, uh, also a speaker in twenty I think twenty twelve, uh, Dan Palata, who's the name of his talk is "The Way We Think About Charity Is Dead Wrong," and just makes a really compelling. Uh, argument for re-examining the way that we pay people in the nonprofit sector, the humanitarian sector, as he will call it, not nonprofit. Um, but it really, the question is that he really raises the challenge that he he puts out towards people in the in that sector is um, really if we want the best performance we can get, which arguably we do. We need to really rethink the way that, that the pay structure and the way that we approach uh, you know, looking at results rather than action. And he said that most people are obsessed with overhead with these organizations, but don't look at the, uh, the impact they could have if they hired uh, differently for talent. 
perhaps you could just give us an outline of what are the types of TED events or TED style interactions or programs that, that are out there. So people like me who are producing TEDx events, we affectionately call TED Big TED because we each have our own little TED events. Uh, so TED itself is a nonprofit organization. They're headquartered in New York. Uh, I think right now they have somewhere around 120 employees, uh, but they put on the, the, the big show is TED, which is currently held in Vancouver uh, in, I think, in March or April of each year. They've shifted the dates a few times. Um, there's actually an upcoming event uh, in August here at uh, TED Global, which will be in Tanzania. Uh, so those are kind of their two big main stage events. Um, TED Global has been kind of... Uh, it has not been a, a consistent event. They've had it in, uh, in several locations in Africa and in Europe, um, and they're going back to uh, to Tanzania this year. But the, those are the, the stages where people generally see the videos from TED. TED also, during the last year especially, has gone through a little bit of a revamp where they are holding a lot of uh, events throughout the year. And part of that is a response to the speed of our political cycle and our social situations where they happen so quickly that what Ted wanted to do is they said, we can't wait for March to roll around. You know, something happens in July. It's not worth waiting eight months or seven months or however long it is for us to tell the story. So they started to do smaller events, especially in New York where they're headquartered. So that's Ted. What happened is that they noticed after they started to release these videos in 2006, people were self-organizing their own watch parties and having conversations around the, the, the talks. And they uh, were doing this all in their local communities. And uh, in response to that, TED developed the TEDx program. So just as a quick overview, uh, every TEDx program uh, is individually licensed. So for instance, I hold the license for TEDx Omaha. Uh, a friend of mine, Randy Bretz, has TEDx Lincoln. Uh, there are thousands of people in cities around the world who are doing 160, 180 countries who are running TEDx events. So each one is organized independently, uh, but it's run basically by the same principles. So there is an agreement uh, as far as the, the style of the talk. So everybody who uh, has those expectations of what a TED talk is, that's kind of what we aim for and what we train for. Um, there are... Uh, one of the other important notes about this is that it is a, it's an avocation. It is a 100% volunteer uh, activity, so nobody who runs um, TEDx events gets paid. Uh, so our licensees, like myself, we don't make any uh, draw any salary from this. We don't get any compensation, uh, but also speakers are unpaid. So again, it goes down to that love of those of those ideas. Um, TEDx has there are actually 11 variations of the license. So I have, I have what's called a standard license or what we would call a municipal license where it's kind of a, a based in a city. Um, there are university licenses, there are salon licenses, uh, youth, uh, a number of different variations on a theme. You know, it's interesting because you, when you have that um, option of dialing up which talk you want to see, you know, pulling up the TED.com website and searching for something that you like, uh, you tend to... Again, search, search out the things you like. At a live event, you really don't get to do that. Uh, you, and that's one of the appeals, I think, of the TEDx events uh, is because you get to um, find out things that you weren't, you didn't even know you were interested in. Tell me about the genesis of your interest in TEDx and the uh, conception of TEDx Omaha. So I had, at the time, worked for a, a branding agency and had joined it um, in its 10th year. So it was just uh, celebrating its 10th anniversary. And we had an internal conversation that said we've we've been able to work with some of these really um, uh, important organizations in our city, they, the universities, the, the medical center, things like that. And they've supported us for 10 years. Uh, what can we do to give back? And we were floating ideas around. And I just had this little voice in the back of my head that said... I think that Ted is doing local events. So a little voice came out of my mouth and said, I think that Ted is doing local events. And um, our, my CEO turned to me and said, what is Ted? And my CIO got really excited and he said, oh, he, he jumped in and started doing the explanation. 
And they said, great, go figure it out. Which, you know, so there's, there's that. Uh, and essentially, at, in, in 2009, the program had just started. I think, if my numbers are correct, in 2009, there were 250, 260 events worldwide. Uh, TEDxKC being amongst the first of them. Uh, and I did reach out to them for some information and some uh, explanation as to what this thing was and how they were doing it. Uh, but it, there was a, an online application. I you know, just went through that and, f and they asked certain questions like, why, you know, what do you know about Ted? Why are you interested in doing this, et cetera? Um, and I applied for it and then got rejected because someone else in Omaha had already applied for the TEDx Omaha license. And I said, okay, well, um, would you know, would you mind uh, connecting me with this person because we're interested in doing it? And I just, if I'm not going to do it, I'd like to be able to support it. And uh, so they did uh, uh, connect me with the person who had it. And he is now, I guess, you know, seven years down the line as a friend. We just had lunch last month. Uh, and he, he said, you know, this is, you know, it's great. You want to do something with this because I just kind of applied for it, but I don't really have any intention of doing an event. So, uh, essentially what happened is that we, you know, uh, he gave up his rights to the, to the local name and they're, they're just in the, issued to an individual, uh, for a 12 month period. So there's not, uh, there's not a geographical, um, uh, limitation to those. So for instance, we've had, we have had, uh, other TEDx events in the Omaha area. They're just not called TEDx Omaha. Uh, and so during that first year, it was really just a, a matter of uh, printing out the, I, I, I printed out the guides, the guidebook and it was, you know, a stack of paper, two inches high, but it was something where I needed to have an understanding of how to replicate because, uh, and how, how to present an event that was, uh, in that same spirit and met the expectations because everyone who's seen a Ted talk there, there's not, uh, they have that expectation for what it's going to be. There's not a, a formula to it, but it is a very different talk and a very different concept, uh, than your normal presentation with PowerPoint that people give, uh, after they've, you know, they scribble it the night before or the morning that they are giving the presentation and then wing it. And we all know how well that goes. Can you remember back to your response to the application form question, why do you want to do a, a TEDx event? For me, the, the motive, I remember the motivation. I don't know if I remember the answer that I gave to them. Um, but the motivation was that I had, I recognized that there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of talent that is um, under-recognized in the community. And there was something I, I knew a lot of people who had, who were doing amazing work, who were doing things that were notable and had the ability to speak about them. And oftentimes did they traveled, you know, if they, I'll give the example of an architect. And I mean, there are architects who work out of this city who travel all over the world and they do uh, really great work and they make great presentations and they're entertaining and they have things that are thoughts that are, uh, interesting to a general audience, a general, you know, general audience of curious people. So this was really an opportunity for us to showcase the, the type of talent that is in our community, but oftentimes doesn't get recognized. Uh, that for me was a big motivator because I wanted to, um, I, I tend to be a little bit more of a side of stage person in that I'd like to, uh, I'd like to organize the events. I'd like to get people, um, I got like I like to get them a little bit of spotlight. So for me, that was a, a real a real opportunity to utilize um, this TEDx this new TEDx platform and uh, event style, and uh, really a, a lot of that appeal, especially initially, was um, the connection to TED. You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break.
you'll hear a clip from Chris Anderson. And he is now the current CEO of TED. Uh, he he officially uh, acquired TED in two thousand one. Okay. Um, so he is uh, he'll, he'll call himself the curator. Okay. Yeah. But um, and also as that part of the nonprofit, he does not draw a salary, so unpaid, just like the rest of us. Well, uh, the curator of TED, Chris Anderson, he gave a talk called. TED's Secret to Great Public Speaking, which was filmed in March 2016 at TED Studio. So let's listen to that clip from that particular talk of Chris Anderson's. Some people think that there's a TED Talk formula. Give a talk on a round red rug. Share a childhood story, divulge a personal secret, end with an inspiring call to action. No, that's not how to think of a TED Talk. In fact, if you overuse those devices, you're just going to come across as cliched or emotionally manipulative. But there is one thing that all great TED Talks have in common, and I would like to share that thing with you. Because over the past 12 years, I've had a ringside seat listening to many hundreds of amazing TED speakers like these. I've helped them prepare their talks for prime time and learned directly from them their secrets of what makes for a great talk. And even though these speakers and their topics all seem completely different, they actually do have one key common ingredient. And it's this. Your number one task as a speaker is to transfer into your listeners' minds an extraordinary gift, a strange and beautiful object that we call an idea. So I really like how Chris Anderson there deconstructs what I think most people think of as typical and well done public speaking and then suggests that's not the real point. The real point is to focus on an unusual, a new, a provocative, unexpected, but but an idea that is worth spreading and sharing with uh, with other people. And then, of course, in that talk, again, we'll link to that on our Facebook page. But he goes on in that talk to explain uh, a way that you can develop your uh, story and and to get across that idea in a way that is compelling to the audience. But how have you encountered helping? identify the speakers that you want for TEDx and then how you've gone about helping them give the best presentation they've ever given. That's a pretty uh, low standard. You know, the best talk of your whole life in 18 minutes or less. Um, uh, You know, the, the idea that Chris describes is really the core of the whole concept is that that's why people love TED talks is because there's an idea, there's something to learn, there's something to consider. Um, the, the challenge. So what we do with a, with an annual program is we put together what I'll, I'll call kind of our umbrella theme. And this year, our, our theme is everything changes. And while that seems to be kind of a broad, a very broad topic and it is or a concept and it is, um, it also does give some context to our community, our people who are thinking about giving a talk or how to formulate uh, the talk so that they understand and or that they can communicate what they need to communicate to people. So what we do is we, when I say we, <clears throat> I have a, a team of people who are involved in this now. So I have, uh, we have um, structured this, our little local TEDx event. We have nine different teams that, and that we have a team leader for each one. So instead of me being in charge of everything, which I've, I've done, it's, uh, we've morphed into this, uh, it's morphed into, I guess we have more of a focus on a community and less on a, on an event. So to give some structure to this, we have nine people and, uh, who are team leaders and then they each have volunteers. And so we do have a speakers and programming team. And what I do is, uh, meet with them and talk about the overarching theme that we've developed for the year and some of the things we want to explore. So we tend to focus on topics of universal interest rather than topics about our city. And the reason that I do that is because the, uh, the interest that we all have with TED Talks is the universality of the concept, is that no matter if you live in India or in uh, South Africa or 
you know, Venezuela or in the United States, there you can still appreciate the concept and appreciate the idea and share that with people. Uh, if it's just about your city, then it doesn't work. There's that, uh, you, you miss that commonality. So what we do is we look at the, the themes and the, uh, the concepts and the things that we could discuss. Uh, we tend to try to follow Ted's, model, Ted's recommendation, which is um, ideas first, people second. Uh, we have in the past invited these just wonderful people on stage because we think that they've got some, you know, they're, they're fascinating, um, but they're not, uh, they have not necessarily produced the best talks. And they have not connected with the audience in that way. So we do uh, we do kind of look for a hybrid now of um, what is the idea and who should be telling it. And uh, we right now go through three main acquisition uh, activities, which uh, number one is there are people that we know who are just fantastic knockout speakers and we would have them on stage whenever we could. There are people who, well, I, I talk about this incessantly year long and ask people, if you were to speak, what, you know, what would you speak about? What's your idea? What are you working on? Because typically, um, and one of the other things that, that Chris Anderson has said is that um, choose the people who, and I'm paraphrasing, but choose the people who live their talk. So what, some of the most compelling talks are the ones that are uh, of the work, the, the, you know, the life's work of that individual. And then uh, a couple of years ago, we also started an open call for speakers. So that's just kind of putting it out there to to the whole community to, uh, to locate people that we maybe wouldn't otherwise come in contact with. Um, and some of those people have been really fantastic. Uh, so that it does help um, round out some of the uh, the people that we're exposed to. And then uh, from there, we do uh, – the selection process is actually really difficult. Uh, we have, I think uh, last year we had 200 people in consideration for eight speaking spots. So it, it takes a lot to consider them and to figure out if they're the right person to be talking about the idea, um, especially when you have multiple people who apply with the same concept. Um, but then we do have a, uh, a training program that we've developed. And that is we do have uh, hire a professional speaker coach and she works with all of our speakers to help them not only develop the um, the presentation style and you know kind of augment what they have, but also to develop the story because it is uh, even though even if you have six minutes on stage, the it's actually not a lot of time to get a story out, and so we really try to push um, that development. So it is um, it is a multi month process. So we don't just have you know people kind of wing it on stage like you would see with a PowerPoint presentation or another uh, another speaker event. These people have actually rehearsed and worked on multiple uh, multiple revisions of their talk. And, and then we do have, um, we support them with, uh, with events, with, um, like I said, a speaker coach. And then we also do um, engage our alumni speakers in helping to uh, make sure that those people have the support they need to give a great talk. You talked a little bit about the selection process and how difficult that is. So you have 200 plus people applying for eight slots. So how do you go about that very first phase of identifying who is going to become one of those eight people? It's, uh, it's rough because we do, one of the things we do actually is we go back to YouTube. A lot of people have a talk that they've given somewhere uh, or an interview or whatever it is. And that helps us to determine the, their speaking style, what sort of a person they are, what, how they come across, uh, do, do they, um, it, or also it helps us weed some people out because if this is a talk that you've given for the last three years, or if you've given this talk in front of, you know, 20 different groups, we're not interested in it. It's really, we are looking for new ideas and new, uh, new presentations, new voices, um, we're, we are actively working to try to figure out how do we, again, expand beyond, um, kind of your usual suspects and, uh, you know, to, to give an example in the last seven years, we've had 83 speakers and performers. Um, we have another nine this year that will be, um, that have accepted a, a speaking spot, but there are still big gaps in the people we're trying to, we're trying to, um, to talk with. We are trying to talk more with, uh, we are trying to keep aware of um, the makeup of our city and our community is that we actually have lots of micro communities. 
We have uh, geographic communities, we have uh, nation of origin and ethnic communities, um, and we have different gender communities. We have all kinds of different types of experiences and types of voices that we need to hear. And we are, we are um, actively in communication with as many different of these micro communities as we can be so that we can pull some of those people in. Um, so that's part of the, the consideration process. But really, we kind of look at um, the story itself um, the, the concept, how does it fit with, uh, with our large theme? And then also how does it work with other people's, uh, in conjunction with other people's, uh, talks for that particular day? We have, uh, two, actually we have two audiences that we think about because we have our live in person audience. We have 500 people who get really excited about having their own local TEDx event and have their, you know, build up this community because they want to be around other people who are intellectually curious. That's a, a big draw. And uh, the other piece of it, though, is we have uh, an online video audience. And so what we do is we try to craft the um, select speakers so that they not only uh, are telling great stories and telling great um, uh, representations of their work and communicating those ideas, uh, but it flows with uh, an emotional um, experience for the, for the day, for the live audience. Uh, one of the other requisites that Ted has put forward in their, uh, in the TEDx program is that, uh, a certain percentage of programming has to be pre-recorded Ted talks. Uh, so that helps to tie the TEDx events to big Ted. And then also, uh, honestly helps us fill in, um, some of the, um, topical gaps that we have or to help, uh, shift the emotional mood. Because if we have, uh, some very emotionally heavy topics, then we can show a comedy talk and it kind of lightens the mood or, or somebody, or do a musical performance to help again, kind of bridge, um, bridge the emotional experience of the audience, uh, which you, again, with the recorded talks that you watch online, you just don't get that, uh, that same consideration. Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives. Joining me in conversation is Brian Smith, the executive producer of TEDx Omaha. I like that you've suggested some elements of what a TEDx event is not, and certainly what TEDx Omaha is not. So you talked about the diversity of voices, interests, positions, hierarchies, these sorts of things that affect a particular community. And in this case, we're talking about TEDx Omaha. But it's not the, the role of this TEDx event to ensure an equitable voice is given to however we're characterizing the diversity of this community. The role of this TEDx event is to express an idea or ideas that relate to the theme in question. And wherever those voices happen to come from is, is, is where those voices come from. However, have you had any 
uh, complaints or misunderstandings about the intention behind a TEDx event in, in this line? You know, the, uh, the nice thing about the, the TEDx platform is that people do have an understanding of, of what it is. Um, however, you also do have people who very much feel like they should be giving a, a talk, whether it's at TED or at a TEDx event. And um, the, we do have uh, a, a very well-developed sense of awareness of what our position is. So one of the things that um, that is true about these TEDx events is that, uh, uh, again, they're competitive. We just don't have, we just don't have room. I mean, we do have, uh, we actually, and in, in if you have made it this far into this conversation, I should let you know that we have actually 16 annual uh, events we don't just do uh, this one big speaker event in October and leave it go. We actually have monthly salon events where we um, investigate different topics. And then we also have a lot of times we have a subject matter expert there who is able to, to give context. Um, and then we do adventures, which are field trips for adults. Uh, so we have a lot of a lot of fun and a lot of ways to to meet people throughout the uh, throughout the year, but um, I have I have received a lot of I shouldn't say a lot uh, I've, I've received a number of uh, responses back from people who say you know I'm really disappointed that you didn't select me I am great which of course you are uh, everyone has that uh, you know has uh, who puts themselves out there I should um, is either taking a risk by putting themselves out there or already has a very well-developed sense of, uh, of, of self-worth. Um, and I also have had people complain that we haven't had enough uh, representation of whatever they, you know, whatever they think um, that we should have on stage at a particular time. What, and that's actually uh, a challenge that is not uh, exclusive to TEDx Omaha. Uh, a few years ago at uh, one of the TED Active events that I went to, the curator, I'm sorry, the um, uh, program director at TED talked about how difficult it is to find women to speak at, at, at Big Ted. And she said there, it actually takes twice as amount of, uh, of effort to find half the number of speakers. So men are always putting themselves out there and looking for attention. Uh, women uh, have uh, one of the, the, the comments that she, um, uh, that Kelly Stetzel, the, the uh, program director for TED, uh, pointed out is that people, kept, women kept saying, I'm not ready yet. And there's a, a feeling that um, there, there needs to be more preparation or more attention or more, uh, uh, oh, more um, achievement in their lives before they are ready to give a talk, which is interesting because a lot of times we're the, the talks that are given by the people who are most vulnerable, um, are the ones that we love. You know, it's so funny that you say that because immediately the two Ted talks that really stick out in my mind, one is Brene Brown's and she's talking about vulnerability and shame. And the other is Elizabeth Gilbert. She's talking about creativity in the muses. And she tells this truly wonderful story about a poet who used to feel poems physically coming to her over the landscape. And she, she viscerally had to grab it and hold it while she had the chance to write it down. And both of those talks were so powerful and really stick out in my mind. So it's it's so interesting to hear that that is an observation that was made by the the TED sort of curatorial program team. And the reason I said vulnerable is because I just reread Brene Brown's Daring Greatly this week. So it's already in my head. So another aspect that I just wanted to touch on before we talk about the the benefit of TEDx to communities. You mentioned some aspects of the, the criteria by which you procure speakers. And I'm wondering if there's a little pressure at a local level to get a name, someone recognizable, uh, a, a local grandee or a well-known celebrity in the community, because you have to produce an event that sells tickets just to cover expenses. None of this, obviously, is, is, is to pay you or your volunteers anything. But you need to get that 500-seat auditorium filled. 
and everybody there wants it filled. The speakers want it filled. We, we want to attend and be surrounded by like-minded, intellectually curious people. So the temptation to have a big name lure or attraction must be quite pressing. And I wonder if you've had that pressure applied or if you felt that applied. That's actually the reason that we had you on the on the program <laughs> one year. I'm a nobody and you, you know that. Well, it, it's um, one of the things that we uh, had discussed early on is kind of that that question of do you have a local luminary or somebody who has um, one of my um, uh, a point of aggravation with me is people who are from Omaha and not in Omaha. So we, we have a lot of famous people who are from Omaha. They leave. And that's <clears throat> that's uh, that is a. Um, interesting point to me because the, the people who uh, oftentimes are most progressive or, or talented, they do leave in order to uh, to make a career. And then there's the question of in Omaha. Um, what we've chosen to do is specifically t- uh, put in our, um, in our programming standards, uh, we, we look for people who are in Omaha or have a, a strong relationship to Omaha. Uh, so we're, t- we're not necessarily, uh, looking, we're not restricted geographically. Uh, we can't pay speakers, uh, but we can, we can actually pay for, uh, airfare and hoteling and, and, and things of that nature if we choose. Um, so we could bring in somebody who has, who is from out of town and, and, um, and do that. Um, but we've really haven't done that because one of the things in, uh, in, in again, the brand stand, brand standards and the guidelines from Ted is that there is no headliner. Uh, there's in your program, everyone is a part of the program. And actually during the day, our speakers sit in the audience and are part of the audience and part of the attendees, uh, experiencing the same things as everyone else. So, um, we've, we have had, um, conversations with people who are notable, but it hasn't been a driver. Uh, one of the, but, on the flip side of it, uh, we have had a number of talks that have had great reception because we've had, um, there are people who are, again, who are from our, our community and have uh, great support and great recognition outside of, uh, of their other city. Um, we did have a, a speaker this from this last year's program who was um, one of, at that time, was uh, one of 400 TEDx talks that was promoted to the, to, uh, the main TED.com website. Um, out of 80,000 TEDx talks that were out on, uh, published on YouTube, uh, this was one of 400 that had been, uh, promoted to that level. And, uh, I haven't, I haven't run her numbers in the last, um, probably the last month, but when the last time I did, it was at over, uh, two and a half million views. Um, and it's, and that was posted, um, gosh, we, we uploaded it in November and then, uh, Ted, had published it on their website in uh, January. So in, you know, in the, in the span of, uh, of eight months, she's, you know, her talk has been viewed uh, going on 3 million times.
Why does a community need TEDx? What have been the benefits to community? There have been there have been over twenty one thousand TEDx events since uh, since the program launched in two thousand nine, which is um, amazing. I mean, there have been over a million. I'm sorry, a billion. I sound like Doctor Evil here. One billion views, <laughs> um, but there have been over a billion views of TEDx talks around the world. Um, what they really what they really tapped into here is this uh, commonality. This desire to uh, to share in a global um, experience, and that's that's a driver in and of itself. Is that we all want to be uh, connected to something bigger than ourselves, and TED provides that platform for people who are again curious. They want to know about new ideas. They they want to share some sort of um, share some of that intellectual pursuit, and and you know adult learning. Uh, the other thing it does for a community is that it provides. Um, it provides a way for, for a physical community, it provides a way for people to gather around a concept. Um, the, one of the things that we've identified during our, our monthly TEDx Omaha salons is that, uh, people who move to Omaha seek those out because they know that that's where they're going to meet people who are, um, again, open-minded. They may not be interested in the same things that they are as far as topics, uh, but they have a similar uh, outlook into the world. So my final question for you then is a personal one. You've talked about intellectual curiosity. So what has TEDx meant for you personally? The, um, it has, this has a lot of answers. So the TEDx Omaha experience for me is really important because, uh, uh, like a lot of other people who live um, who live here, I feel like uh, there's I, I have I have more needs than the community will provide. And by that, I mean I'm always I'm very curious. I'm looking at the horizon. I always want to know what's happening uh, in um, kind of on the fringes. And the you know, ge- our, our geographic. Um, persona is more of a maintenance persona than it is a, uh, an innovation persona. And so for me, it provides the opportunity to connect with big Ted, uh, but also to locate the people in, uh, in the city who are doing something of note and who are pushing forward uh, with the quest for knowledge or a quest for improvement. Um, I've gotten to meet, um, I've gotten to meet scientists who are uh, working on desalination programs in um, in South America. I've gotten to uh, have conversations with people who are um, uh, who are involved in uh, in the Ebola uh, treatment outbreaks or outbreak treatments. Um, people who have experiences uh, as undocumented immigrants. A, a, a very wide range, but it also um, so it provides me with an opportunity to really to build out the number of um, connections that I have here, and uh, it also provides a leadership opportunity because I I have created a community of of uh, people who are interested in this, but it's not just me. I have again um, people who are in my leadership group who have dedicated um, a lot of time into creating uh, events that really support a community of interest, you know, interested and interesting people. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's been fantastic because for me, because uh, the, the work that I tend to do is, is in small teams and it's not, uh, I don't have, I don't have 20 direct reports at work. Uh, so this is a little different situation because, um, you know, I can connect people and find, give them an opportunity to learn how to lead or, you know, lead people and lead an organization. Um, and at the same time, develop those skills for myself. To listen to this show again and to hear past shows, Download the podcast at iTunes, search for Live's radio show with Stuart Chittenden, and leave a review while you're there to let me know what you think of the show. I've been in conversation today with Brian Smith, the executive producer of TEDx Omaha. Brian, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for coming in. You're welcome. What I love about the tagline for TED ideas worth sharing not spreading people's name spreading spreading so okay (laughs) what i love about that tagline for ted
That's the end of this week's show. The sound engineer was Dalimar McTizik. The magnificent Marion Fay helped produce the show. Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week for more community, conversation, and the people that bring community to life. <laughs>